This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, January 19th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Jeff Sessions has authorized his U.S. attorneys to be more aggressive in enforcing federal marijuana laws in states where it is legal. What does that mean for federalism, the rule of law, and crime in those states? Trevor Burris is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. For today's Cato Connect, we talked about all of that and more. Jeff Sessions has essentially rescinded guidance that the Obama administration provided to Uh, U.S. attorneys about sort of laying off prosecutions in states where uh, medical marijuana or recreational marijuana has been made legal. Mm. Um, So what did that guidance actually say? So, of course, federal law still prohibits marijuana and it actually not just prohibits it. It treats marijuana as a fundamentally dangerous substance, as dangerous as heroin, more dangerous, in fact, than cocaine, which is a Schedule II substance. None of that changed when Colorado legalized, when Washington legalized, when any of the states legalized. Uh, But of course, at the same time, federal prosecutors haven't don't do the bulk of marijuana prosecutions. It's, It's technically federally legal for you to smoke marijuana in your basement. But you, sh- you were never really concerned that the U.S. attorneys and U.S. agents were going to be the ones coming to get you uh, when you're smoking. Mostly trafficking, mostly moving between interstate lines. That's how it was before and it kind of seemed that way when Colorado legalized. But in 2013, the Cole memo was issued by the Obama administration just sort of clarifying this is the only thing – these are the things that we care about. Uh, we care about uh, illicit uses, uh, trafficking outside of the states where it's legalized, selling to children. There were sort of eight priorities that they listed of things that were really going to be their concerns and they kind of said implicitly that therefore just people, adults complying with state laws and recreational using is not something that we're going to go after even though we could is basically what they said. Now what what Sessions memo did, they said we're taking that away. I'm now just returning complete discretion to U.S. attorneys in those jurisdictions uh, which they always had but this memo was was sort of said here's where you should focus and now that complete discretion means if, if some drug warrior U.S. attorney for the District of Colorado wants to go after individual users of marijuana, then he or she can. And that's sort of the the memo has changed that. Nothing has changed in federal law. Uh, Nothing has changed in terms of like substantive marijuana policy rules passed. It's just sort of the enforcement priorities of the DOJ. We still do not know what this means. It's only been a couple weeks since this happened, so we haven't seen any fallout from it. But your U.S. Attorney's Office is pretty strapped already. They only can, I mean, even the most busy ones prosecute maybe 1,200 crimes a year, and that's not Jim in his basement with his Gatorade and his Xbox and his joint. It wasn't before and it probably is not going to be afterwards. So I I don't think that a ton is going to change right now in those jurisdictions. But it's a big signal and it's something we've expected from Jeff Sessions and of course Jeff Sessions has a very uh, antediluvian view of marijuana. And so I think we could expect more. Okay, And yeah, it doesn't seem like this is driven by any concept of what voters or the broad public care about. This is uh, something published by Vox. They're uh, quoting a Mason-Dixon poll here. This says, the public really, really, really opposes current federal marijuana law. And they were uh, the Mason-Dixon poll asked, essentially, uh, what is your preferred way of handling, uh, as a matter of federal policy, uh, marijuana? And 16% said, keep as is. 29% legalize medical. 5% decriminalized, 49% fully legalized. And that's that's choosing among 
options. That's mm -hmm. not saying this is what I this is exactly what I want. But among those options, forty nine percent saying fully legalizes it is a huge, huge change. And, and I, I want to point out, this was put out by SAM, a group called Smart or Smarter Approaches to Marijuana that is actively opposed to uh, most efforts to legalize marijuana uh, in the United States. So the fact that they were willing to put this out, credit due to SAM for being willing to put out data that pretty much disagrees with your mission. So um, well, we have a question here from uh, Jessica Kelly. She asks, in states like Florida, where population voted for both Trump and medical marijuana, what effect do you think General Se Attorney General Sessions' actions will yield come November 2018? Uh, well, when it comes to medical marijuana, we have a, a sort of different problem, I would say, which is that we, as of today, the the with the budget question uh, hanging over us, we have a the since 2014 we've had something called the Rohrbacher Farr and Rohrbacher Blumenauer Amendment, which which is an actual piece of legislation that has been part of the continuing resolution uh, uh, bill that they've been passing to keep the government open for. I don't know, ever. I don't, I don't do tax policy, but for a long time. And that prohibits the government from spending money, the DOJ, to go after medical marijuana. That right now is actually a hard piece of legislation that is keeping Jeff Sessions from going after medical marijuana. And its future is uncertain every hour that passes in, in the day that we are currently talking about right now. So I think that if that goes away, uh, then he will go after medical marijuana. He doesn't like medical marijuana either. And when it comes to something like Florida, uh, uh, we'll see people benefiting from medical marijuana. And if he starts cracking down on it in such a way, I think it could be really bad for the coming election. So I mean, it's worth noting that the argument has been made, all Jeff Sessions is doing is, is assuring that federal law is being followed in all 50 states. And he's not doing anything else. But of course, he's lobbying Congress mm -hmm. to remove these exceptions that they have put into spending bills to prevent money from being spent, enforcing federal law in states where marijuana has been made legal for medical purposes. Yes, and, and he would like that amendment to go away. But and that's the rule of law argument, which is which is an interesting one. Uh, some people say, "Hey, you know, I didn't. I, I'm okay with marijuana. Okay with legalization, even even of marijuana. But I don't want the DOJ essentially nullifying federal law by refusing to enforce it." And so when Jeff Sessions says, "All I'm doing is following what Congress passed," uh, he has a credible claim to be saying that. I think it's a little bit overblown, though, because what it means to follow the rule of law is a kind of very philosophical concept. There's a lot of federal prohibitions on things that the DOJ doesn't enforce and that we don't say every single one of those is definitely a problem with the rule of law. Enforcement priorities is part of what they're supposed to do. Uh, but secondly, part of the rule of law includes the Constitution and the Constitution does not allow the pro prohibition of federal prohibition of wholly in-state use of marijuana. So that's a higher law than the, the Controlled Substances Act, which Sessions is referring to. And there's a lot of other a lot of other parts of the Controlled Substances Act that have not been followed systematically for about 30 years, including research uh, provisions to help research marijuana better, uh, different acting on petitions that have been put forward to try and reschedule marijuana, you know, the crazy step of rescheduling it from one to two. That, this is the thing I just constantly point out. It's like, Rescheduling it from one to two, that means it gets the same status as cocaine. 
Is cocaine everywhere? And morphine. Is it again yeah, morphine? I mean, is it just <laughs> all over the place? Is that the end of the world if we reschedule marijuana from one to two? Like, no. And it should be even, of course, lower than two. But yeah, when we're talking about the rule of law, it gets a lot more nuanced than just conservatives saying, you know, the Congress has prohibited marijuana and therefore I'm going to make them do this. Because he what he is not doing is he's not telling the US attorneys to crack down on it. That would he's telling them that they can crack down if they want. So that could also be an argument that he's not following the rule of law. More specifically, I think here we just need to recognize that the constitutionality of this is highly suspect. And what Sessions could be doing, he could have easily said, I'm going to follow the Constitution as I view it my job, regardless of what the Supreme Court said, my job to follow the Constitution and not enforce marijuana prohibition for wholly in-state use. And he said, and that's the rule of law. And that could have been a great argument too. All right. Uh, question. This is from Kenny Ref, Kenny on, on Twitter. Uh, what what does the sessions change mean for companies that grow marijuana? And I, presumably every company that grows marijuana does so for intrastate use. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah, there's, there's no interstate transportation in those states that have legalized. This is the big issue. I, as I said, I, I'm not giving you legal advice, of course, but if you're in Colorado and you're smoking marijuana, I wouldn't have been afraid of federal law enforcement before if you're just a single guy or a single girl, and I wouldn't be afraid of it now. The problem is that when you're a big player, uh, as a, such as a marijuana business, a marijuana grow in Colorado, which is my home state, then you have bigger problems because you have to deal especially with banks. And the banks have been a problem for a very long time. I, my father actually works in banking law in Colorado and, and I've talked to him about how this works. And it, when it first got legalized, this was a problem because most banks are federally chartered or have federal regulations applied to them. And it therefore is illegal to bank marijuana industries because the, as far as federal law is concerned, even if the state is legalized, you're, you're a money launderer. Like you're no different than someone working with the drug cartels. And so for a very long time, understand that the banks just stayed away from that. And the lawyers of the banks told them to stay away from that. And the cash industry of the marijuana businesses was sort of well known. This was a very in your mattress carrying $200,000 around town kind of situation. And one of the, one of the issues related to the, the uh, purveyors, the retailers of marijuana is that since they can't put their money into banks, they have to hire expensive uh, heavy duty yeah. security to drive armored trucks around to move that money around in some cases. Yeah, the crime, the, there, there were well-documented examples of, and, and some that weren't actually publicized that highly about high-profile robberies in, in Colorado. One one grow uh, had a, you know, people came in through the roof and cracked the safe and cut into the safe because just getting that amount of cash is obviously lucrative for criminals. So that's a, that is a problem. Now, interestingly, and this is still kind of caused me to scratch my head a bit, uh, that uh, starting about 2014, many banks in Colorado started banking marijuana industries. And now part of this was because the coal memo. And there was a subsequent memo done by the financial crimes, the FinCEN for the U.S. Treasury that sort of said banks can do this, but you, the banks have to make sure that the marijuana industries that they're banking are complying with the coal memo and they're not that those eight things like giving to children and stuff that they're complying at. Now, if as an attorney and as what my dad had told these banks is these these federal regulators are basically telling you you need to watch over the marijuana businesses that you bank and or you're if they in violate the law, then you're in trouble to the point of like the, the, you could just be shut down. Now, what would you tell them as a lawyer is what my dad told them, which was 
Stop. Don't do it. Yeah, don't stop don't, banking. Don't, these don't even bank them whatsoever. It's too risky. You never know what's going to happen with federal law, as we've seen. It will change. It can change very quickly. But many of them continue to do that, and they continue to do so today. We still have not seen what are the effects of the Cole memo being rescinded will happen on the Treasury Department and the banking industry. But because this has grown so much, and now California opened up its markets just at the beginning of this year, we're going to see more and more money pouring into what is now was a $7 billion industry now and will, will quickly grow. And the 19 state attorney generals have asked for the Treasury Department to clarify the banking industry and how this works, the banking, a after the rescission of the Cole memo, how this works for banking. And they said, this is a really big concern for public safety. We're not going to put this genie back in the bottle as the sort of metaphor everyone used. We're not going to re, it's not going to become illegal in these states. So we need to figure out, we're not going to have $200,000 and millions of dollars in cash going around and we're having to deal with crime in these situations. And it's harder to deal with illicit uses of marijuana because banks are really good sometimes unfortunately, sometimes fortunately, at tracking the, the way this marijuana money gets used. And so that they're doing all cash businesses is not even good for the federal government's priorities. It wants to make sure that they're not seal, selling on the side and they're taking track everything related to a legitimate sale and they're not selling things out the back door. That's really hard to do with just a cash business. So for businesses, it's, it's very difficult right now. But we kind of returned to pre-2013, pre-2014 land. And in that time, Colorado still had marijuana businesses uh, since tw since 2012. So it, it's uh, it's a little bit hairy, but we're not shutting it down. This is a, a map from Governing Magazine that is the listing the states that have uh, legalized cannabis for some purpose. If you just take a look at the West Coast, there, including if you include Nevada in that, that is a stunning image to see that. And you think about how many millions of people are included in just those four states alone, oh, yeah. I mean, California alone, of course, is, would be a, a massive economy uh, in the world if it were its own country. Um, what does it mean, do you, the, do you think, that uh, so much more of the country now lives under a regime where this is legal? I mean, my suspicion would be they'd say, oh, well, things don't appear to be going to hell. Yeah. And presumably that this is fine. Yeah, as a Coloradan, I can say they're not going to hell, and and everyone there just said, yeah, I used to be able to get marijuana before, and now I can get marijuana in a safer way. Like that's what it was, and it, and so the sky didn't fall before, and it's not falling now. But it is an interesting point now with California, because we're up to about seventy million people living in the states that have legalized, and with the polling you discussed, with how popular it is, and some polls go even higher than forty nine percent for how many people just support outright legalization. Which, by the way, is a, is just a massive change. It, it um, almost on par with gay marriage in this country, and so in my lifetime to see that switch happen, I, I invite people to go look at Ron Paul's uh, appearance on the uh, Morton Downey Jr. show in 1988 when he's talking <laughs> about legalizing marijuana and see what the crowd says to him and that. But it, it's a it's a great change, and I think right now it's time to have a bipartisan moment and say, okay. We need to change federal marijuana laws. Uh, here's a question here from uh, John Mitchell on Facebook Live. John, thank you for the question. Why doesn't Congress just change the scheduling? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I'm not a soothsayer for Congress. I know they have different priorities right now, like DACA and not having the government shut down and things like that. For example. But, but I think that this should be something – and the bills have been floating around, Tom Garrett's bill, some smaller bills like Orrin Hatch's bill, Med's bill to loosen up marijuana uh, research restrictions. But I, I, I don't know why it's not happening, what the political calculus is, but it needs to happen. It's getting quite ridiculous. I mean some things are – are pretty bad as a Second Amendment guy, as somebody who does firearms policy. A lot of people don't know that if you smoke marijuana and if you have a medical marijuana license and you you are federally prohibited from purchasing a weapon, uh, like that's something that we need to fix. We just we should fix that. And so we have many things that should be fixed, and there's a huge agreement that we should fix them. And I mean, I think it, I think it will happen. It will definitely happen as more and more states legalize. But I think it will happen in the next two years that we'll have some bill get through, and it'll be great because it'll be like. When we rescinded prohibition, it was a popular movement done where everyone just sort of said, "Hey, this isn't working," and it was done through convention. It wasn't done in the traditional way. So this isn't working. We need it. We have all realized this, and our political betters are not realizing this. So it's time to fix these marijuana laws, and we need to figure out a way to tell Congress that they they, they can and they should do this, and they're not going to take a popularity hit if they sign onto a bill to reschedule marijuana or deschedule it entirely, and or just leave it to the states. You mentioned prohibition, and that was a time when. Uh, Congress and the several states at least had the good manners to pass a constitutional exactly. amendment. Exactly. I mean we got enough popular support together to rescind a constitutional amendment, uh, which is a huge amount of support for two-thirds uh, and, and three-fourths state legislators. But like n now we definitely have enough popular support to fix these insane and draconian marijuana laws. And I am saying if you, even if you don't – even if you're only on the medical marijuana side of this – or you just think that there should be more research done on marijuana, if that's something you think. You're not totally for legalization, but you'd like to see more research done. Well, research is being hindered by federal marijuana prohibition at a Schedule One level. Between, between those who are for outright legalization, those who are for medical marijuana use, and those who are for increased research, that should encompass about 80 percent of Americans, I would think. And that should be clearly enough to get Congress to act on this. All right. So some questions that are uh... – I guess a little stronger in tone here. Uh, uh, Stop pot, no pot, no way on Twitter says, do you realize the social outcomes are skyrocketing as states legalize homelessness, mood disorders, addiction, psychosis leading to violence? Well, there's there's a lot of sort of interesting contention about these numbers. But I mean the answer here, which is very heartening for, for my home state of Colorado is that in Colorado and Washington, the sort of bill said a, a, a bill to regulate marijuana like alcohol. And alcohol is something that we realize has a lot of social harm. Uh, there's a lot of problems with alcohol. There aren't many people out there talking about prohibiting alcohol because people are would get it either way. We already did this experiment and a lot of people like to drink alcohol. We accept those social harms as part of a regime of free and responsible individual people. There's no reason we should not do the same thing with marijuana at all. We should, it doesn't help anyone to have it be prohibited. Now, the interesting thing is that you could think a couple things about any drug. You could think it's either the worst thing ever and like so highly, so highly addicted, highly attractive substances that is the worst thing ever for you um, or you could think it's not that bad. If you think that a substance is like the worst thing ever for you, then you really should be for legalization. Now, and I don't mean – by when we say legalization, we do not mean – that means, therefore, every 7-Eleven and everyone uh, selling on a street can be legalization. It's one of these situations where libertarians will actually say this is an area where I call for more regulation because the, weird, the weirdness of the prohibitionary people is that they kind of treat it as the ultimate form of regulation 
Whereas prohibition is the complete absence of regulation. It is absolute anarchy. It is where you're going to get children who are going to be able to get it easier. A friend of mine who teaches school, uh, public school in Denver was asked by students when the medical, when the legalization bill was going forward, he was asked, they said, hey, man, are you going to, are you going to uh, vote for legalization? He said, yeah, I am. They said, why? And he said, well, partially because it will be harder for you guys to get it. And they like, what do you mean? And he said, well, is it easier for you to get marijuana or alcohol right now? And they said, marijuana. And he's like, exactly. And they said, whoa. <laughs> so so we have to actually do this like adults. We have to understand that adults are going to use these drugs and we have to be able to get them help when they're going to use them. And that is not a regime of prohibition uh, at, at all. And that's true for marijuana and all these things. Well, yes, there is social cost of marijuana. And the thing I'm really proud about for my home state is that they understood that. There wasn't any, there wasn't any, uh, um, you know, like the two days after marijuana legalization, there wasn't a news story about something horrible that happened, like someone crashed their car and they said, whoa, oh man, that was a mistake. No, they understood that there will be car accidents, there will be homeless people, there will be medical problems, there will be people jumping off of buildings, but it's still worth it to legalize. Uh, question from James Gentleman on Twitter. Uh, James, thank you for your question. What do you think are the prospects for larger state nullification movement given the popularity of legalization at the state level with utter disregard for federal prohibition? A larger state nullification movie that goes beyond uh, marijuana, I don't see much of a prospect of that. And state nullification generally is is not going to really work very well in a constitutional regime that we've had since the New Deal, which says that uh, that the federal government has jurisdiction over these things despite the fact that they shouldn't and it's a bad thing. But the states are not going to be able to stand in the way and nullify these laws in a way that we would like to have thought about or some people would have thought about before the Civil War. Uh, the Civil War is a pretty good demonstration of why nullification uh, doesn't really work. It is much better than pursuing nullification or some sort of Tenth Amendment solution as is often brought up to just try and get the people to talk to their congressmen, to talk to their senators and say, change federal law, it's time. That is a much better strategy than nullification. Um, uh, Tom Garrett, I believe, a representative from Virginia has made something of a rule of law argument himself, which is essentially we're not enforcing federal law equally across all of these states. Some states have legalized pot. Some states have, have legalized uh, medical marijuana. Uh, 49 states have legalized uh, CBD, which is a mm. chemical that's in uh, marijuana. But because we're not doing that, the correct approach is to end the federal prohibition in the name of the rule of law. In, an, in the name of having some credibility in the federal government when it comes to trying to apply federal law in states. Yeah, and I think that's a better argument than Jeff Sessions. Again, the, the rule of law when it comes to, to the, just saying that the problem here is that the Constitution doesn't actually allow for this sort of in-state prohibition on marijuana and all other drugs, to be honest. But I think that Garrett has a good point here, and I've been on panels with him where we talked about this would be better especially in light of actually the previous question because the, not, the nullification, just the popular will here is sort of laughing in the face of federal law. And, that, and that's, that could be a problem if you don't want people to just sort of look at federal law and say, look how stupid backwards and unable to change with the times federal laws. Look how bad Congress is. that They can't even fix this. You know, Congress already has this bad of approval rating. So none of this helps to just say, OK, we'll stop 
you're not going to enforce it. Stop pretending it's a thing and stop gumming up the works for banks and research and all these things and just take it away. It's a better argument than Jeff Sessions. All right. Rich Rausch or Rao, thank you for your question. He says, when we allow or encourage the government to ignore rather than change the laws we don't like, do we not also empower the government to ignore those that it doesn't like? Uh, I think that that is an interesting point. Uh, the problem here is that that would be a good a good point to talk about in a regime of sensible laws that a libertarian or limited government person would endorse. But there are so many laws on the books uh, that it is already kind of a farce by itself. The, the existence of all these laws uh, and how many different things you could be violating at a given moment means that it's merely up to the discretion of whoever happened, whatever cop or whatever prosecutor happens to see you to decide whether or not to charge you with something. And I deal with these cases of the Supreme Court all the time. So I would say that the entire kind of U.S. code of so many crimes that we can't even count all of them, at least 5,000 last we checked, but some of them may or may not be crimes in the administrative code, that makes a mockery of the rule of law. Uh, and that, that's a bigger problem. And now, yes, it is true that we say, and, and this is a big philosophical question for libertarians: what's worse, uh, imperfect government or perfect government? Right. So, if you and if you have a government with a bunch of laws, you kind of want them to be bad at enforcing them, or to not really care about enforcing them, right? And, it, and if they were really good at enforcing all those laws, then that would be a, a tyrannical and horrifying regime. Uh, now, so I like imperfect government. Then, uh, so we have to call we call sometimes for you know better governance. But when it comes to prosecuting all the crimes that could be prosecuted, I would prefer imperfect government because I'd like to stay out of jail. So let, let's go back into some of the history here. Um, after prohibition ended, uh, the Congress passed the Marijuana Tax Act, which was uh, a bit of a mis misnamed piece of legislation. It effectively prohibited. Uh, it did, but you, there was a period where you could use a tax stamp to buy marijuana legally. All right. <laughs> they st I've seen a couple of them in museums. It did exist, but it's, it effectively prohibited it, yes. So uh, – and then I guess marijuana had to be at least – there was a carve out that had to be created so that farmers could grow hemp for mm -hmm. World War II. Mm -hmm. But what – where do we get scheduling? When did that – where did that come from? There's – between the Marijuana Tax Act, there's a few other drug, drug laws. The Boggs Act 1951 was mostly about opiates and opium. But starting in the 1960s, especially with the with the countercultural movement of, of the hippies, so to speak, there was a – increased movement and also the crime rate uh, issues and a lot of things that happened in the late 60s. There's increased attention upon drug use and inner city drug use in particular. So the Controlled Substances Act of 1970 is still the basis for our, our modern day drug laws and that created the scheduling system, which is – it's a there's a similar system in, in England, for example, where they, they rank the drugs by, by how serious the government regards them. Now, marijuana is kind of interesting in that regard because there is a little bit of movement in the 60s. Of course, if you, as many people probably know, when the Marijuana Tax Act came out, the kind of scare tax about marijuana were over the top and most people had not had not ever experienced marijuana. And actually, there's only four days of hearings ever done on the Marijuana Tax Act. And what we see from the records on that is that a lot of congressmen who voted on it didn't know what it was. They were told like, so what is this marijuana thing? And it's like, oh, it's something like opium. Oh, OK. Well, we have, we have that, that was pretty much the entirety of it. It was, it was a very cursory hearing and it was pushed with a lot of anti-Mexican bias and just views of marijuana like reefer madness, which is really funny to watch now, but is to me kind of horrifying because that's what people thought marijuana did. Now, that's often the case. If you've never experienced a drug, if you've never been around a drug and you just heard the stories from police officers 
And this is always a really bad way of finding out about drugs. The first time you hear about a drug is usually from police officers, like bath salts or Flocka or something like this. And of course, police officers do not deal with people at their best. If all you ever knew in about- In general. In general. If all you ever knew about alcohol were stories that police officers told about dealing with people on alcohol, uh, there would be a crazy, this is what alcohol does. It makes people run through the streets and like be crazy and turn over cars after football games or whatever. But it wouldn't be the, the, the wine party where everyone is kind of having a drink and some good conversation. That wouldn't be written about. But nevertheless, marijuana was very, very feared, but the use kind of grew throughout into the 60s. And there was a movement to sort of study it. It was very hard to study for a very long period of time. The idea that it was linked to crime, to imbecility, to, that it was linked to a particular degraded class of person, it was in a, a crime was the one people really thought it was linked to. And so when the Controlled Substances Act was passed, they said, you know, we don't know a lot about marijuana, so we're going to commission a, a commission to called the Schaefer Commission to study marijuana and whether or not these things are true. And, and it seemed to some congressmen who kind of had this provision put into the Controlled Substances Act that that was going to, they were like, well, schedule one now and then this commission will review it and we'll look at whether or not these things are true. Uh, now, Nixon was asked about that commission and he said, even if they come back saying it's not dangerous at all, I'm not going to reschedule it. And, and sure, sure enough, the Schaefer Mission Commission came back and said it's, it's like alcohol. It should be regulated like alcohol. And that's been kind of the story ever since. Uh, this was the late 60s? 72 is when 72. that report came out. Uh, Normal, the, the National Organization for Reform of Marijuana Laws, like, asked for a petition for rescheduling in 1972. Uh, that took until 1994 to resolve, which is just an astounding uh, stat to me. And that included in the middle of it the DEA administrative law judge ruling that marijuana should be at least Schedule Two, if not Schedule Three, and the DEA administrator, John Lon, simply overruling that, that decision. So it's been a long story. There have been four petitions for rescheduling. There have been attempts to study the marijuana, you know, actually maybe get some more science in there, and they've all been denied by the DEA, which continues with its drug warrior mentality. So we're getting a lot of questions from people who are uh, individually opposed specifically to uh, marijuana legalization of uh, marijuana and cannabis. And I want to try to, I guess, characterize some of these because some of these are, are sort of hard to get your uh, head around, but I do want to try to present the the best possible uh, argument here. Uh, Paula Gordon, uh, she asks, uh, how much more damage would have been done by thalidomide had its use been regulated by states rather than by the Food and Drug Administration? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, right now, it would be great if we could do more studies on marijuana. There are concerns I have with with some of the medical effects of marijuana based on the limited scientific studies we had. The biggest one is its effect on teenage brains. There's some studies that show that it has some detrimental effects on teenage brains. Problem is it's really hard to study marijuana. Like thalidomide is not a very good analogy because thalidomide had gone through the FDA process of testing and that was earlier on um, and some of the other testing hadn't come through. But marijuana, it's hard to do as many studies as even thalidomide had on it. Uh, and so we need to free up the ability to study both the benefits and the harms of marijuana. And we don't really have that right now because it's very difficult to get research funding for marijuana and to get marijuana to research through the University of Mississippi's federal marijuana farm, which is controlled by the National Institute for Drug Abuse, which really doesn't like giving marijuana to researchers, generally speaking. So I think that that's a valid question. If you want to do more research on marijuana and you know that there are many people 
have medicinal benefits from marijuana and you want to figure out what the harms are so we can do a better job of figuring out, you know, whether or not, you know, you should be 25 before you can buy it or something like that, then we should be descheduling or rescheduling marijuana to address to adjust uh, to address those concerns. Uh, and a re related question here, and and a lot of these questions, I think, uh, go to the core of arguments in general about prohibition, mm -hmm. even prohibition as you, as you laid out. No matter what you think of uh, cannabis as a drug, if it's the worst thing ever or relatively harmless, the fact that we're not allowed to know. Yes. Uh, what it's uh, substantively what its effects are, or research all of the myriad chemicals that are inside it. That's a negative for all for pretty much all Everyone. sides yeah. of the debate. So, uh, Pop Pot Org Group uh, asks a question here: uh, the proliferation of cannabis infused products, candy, pizza, gummy bears, poses a risk to the unsuspecting public and tells our children the wrong thing that this is a food. Thank you for the question. I would take any of those uh, questions. And apply them to alcohol. Um, what we need to do now is to adopt an attitude and a, a, a position towards marijuana like we have towards alcohol. Now we don't because of prohibition. Uh, we haven't adopt we haven't adopted those things. We don't have good labeling. We don't actually have experience uh, with marijuana. We, we a lot of stories that came out of Colorado had to deal with you know people going and, and getting a full chocolate bar and eating it all and being really stoned, the Marine Dowd effect, I think we can call that. And that was a problem because people don't really know the information out there. We had training wheels on uh, and because we didn't have a legal market where labeling tells you what you're going to get and whether or not it's adulterated and what type you're going to get. And what we've done with, say, the gummies in Colorado is like those don't look like gummy bears anymore. They're labeled. They're sealed in different ways. How do we make sure that kids can't get this? I grew up with my liquor cabinet locked, right? I grew up with my parents saying this is not something you, you're allowed to, to drink or this is not for children uh, and that's the way we should be treating marijuana. A bad thing to do for children is to have a prohibitionary regime where your parents are, you know, there's no intelligent conversations about what adults do and what children do. There's just things that are illegal and, and kids like kind of like things that are legal and wondering why you've told them that they're not allowed to go after that. And trust me, as growing up in Colorado, it was incredibly easy to get marijuana. Um, and if we would say, we could, well, I guess we could reinstitute prohibition and crack down on it with, you know, more DE agents and, and more raids uh, and more, you know, SWAT raids into, into homes, stuff like that. But it's just simply not working. If you realize it is not working and you should, then the next question is how do we address the concerns that you validly have? And how do we get people to think about marijuana differently, seriously? Not learning, you know, and, and understand what are the dangers of it and having kids to understand that too. It's better to do that in a regime of regulation and legalization than in a regime of prohibition. Uh, a a qu comment more than a question from uh, Jim Gleason on Facebook Live. Jim, thank you for the, the comment here. Opioid addiction has declined in nations and states that have legalized marijuana. I asked recently minted Cato senior fellow uh, Jeff Singer about this and he said yeah basically yeah. that's that's what they've found is is do you have any understanding of of why that is mm -hmm. or uh what we can uh, what are the policy implications of that yeah by personal friends personal stories uh, from friends of mine in Colorado who were dealing with uh with pain and that they had that they were dealing with opium um up, up until legalization that after that, they were able to actually switch 
from taking slow-release opiates, which they did never liked because it made them nauseous and all these sort of after effects of, of opiates, um, to marijuana, and which which dead which you, certain types of marijuana, the so-called body high marijuanas, uh, they can deaden pain in many different ways. So it, I mean, it's not only it's an expected effect, and it's something I've seen. And again, these are the mature questions we have to ask, not let's push a magic button and make drugs disappear because we've tried to push that button for years. We need to ask about the relative harms of different things and what and if in fact, because opiates are, are a huge problem, opiate the, the opiate death rate, if in fact marijuana alleviates that, then we need to make a trade-off on that um, and not just say, you know, well, marijuana is bad too. It's, is it worse than what? Chronic pain, addiction to opiates, possible death by overdose? That's the comparison to make. Uh, I my expectation has been based on the way states have uh, rolled out their legalization or in their their regimes of legalization and the way that Jeff Sessions has handled uh, cannabis thus far, I really expect in the next twenty four months this thing to really snowball in terms of states saying either out and out legalizing or Congress making a, a pretty significant move. Yeah, what, I, is, yeah. what is your expectation yeah, like to, in, in the near term? Yeah, to be honest, that that was what I wrote about in U.S. News was that I, I thought I, – I, I, when I, Jeff Sessions did this, I knew he was going to do it. Um, everyone was sort of waiting for that to happen and then I said, OK, well, this is this, – this could be ultimately good because I would like – I would prefer federal law to change for all the – many of the reasons I've said here, especially scientific research, getting to know more about it. I prefer federal law to change than asking the DOJ to change its enforcement priorities and all these different things. So in that regard, like if this is what – if we said, OK, you want to know what federal law looks like? Jeff Sessions just put it back into place. That's what federal law looks like. I mean, again, as I said at the outset, we're not sure that that's going to really affect what U.S. attorneys do, but that's what federal law looks like. And so change it. and and. When more states legalize, and California was so huge for that, uh, if they if federal agents start cracking down on marijuana in these states, that'll be the quickest way to get them to legalize it. And I think Jeff Sessions realizes that. I'm sure he's wondering what to do because he would prefer prohibition at a 1986 level, the height of marijuana prohibition, burning down the the fields in Marin County, California. Like, but that's not going to happen. So I, I'm sure he he's concerned about how much the genie has got out of the bottle. Uh, another question here, and, and I I thank you for asking your questions and making your comments that are actively opposed to. Uh, the legalization of cannabis. I think it's very instructive for us to to deal yeah, with you. those questions, and I, I appreciate your engagement with us. This is another question from Pop Pot Org Group. Um, tainted medical marijuana products found in California, eighty to ninety percent are found to have pesticides, fungus, and mold. One cancer patient died, and there is a uh, a link here, or I should say, an image here that says. No accepted standards for the safe use or appropriate doses are available to help guide individuals uh, how to use cannabis safely. And that is from uh, the, the image says that this is from the National Academy of Sciences last year. Yeah, we don't know a lot. I mean, again, uh, trying to figure out uh, the, the sort of proper like safe uses, defining that as difficult by itself. But I mean, I don't disagree with any of that stuff. But the only question I have is, so which one solves that problem better? 
a, a regulatory regime where adults are allowed to use it uh, or one that is prohibitionary because I can <clears> – <throat> I can tell you as someone uh, you know, who grew up in a state where marijuana was everywhere that you know, if you buy it on the black market, you're going to have fungus and whatever else was listed in that, pesticides and that too. Um, that, that's not a solution to that problem whatsoever. And if it's medical marijuana and there – and let's just talk about medical marijuana. There are people out there who, who don't have seizures because they are able to get medical marijuana, who are able to deal – with uh, the nausea caused by cancer treatments and eat because they have access to medical marijuana. If you made that disappear, do you think they're going to stop? No, they're going to go to the black market. And then the question is, will the fungus, pesticides, and other problems, and knowing what dose, be worse? And the answer is obviously it'll be worse in a prohibition regime. Yeah, one of the things that is a, a striking difference, and it's a problem that's yet to be solved within the, the cannabis industry, which is uh, understanding dosages. Yes, and even in in states where it's legal, it's either expensive or I think just very difficult to gauge the effects that it's going to have on people. Whereas alcohol, which has been legal now for in the United States for eighty plus years. Uh, the proof, it's there's a there's a clear measure yeah. that we can get to. So well, science, yes scientific, and no. well, scientifically, it's just dif it's more difficult with uh, cannabis to discover what the effects are going. That to is be. true, but but the the experience of a of a legalization regime allows people to deal with that. Think about think about all the mistakes people make with alcohol, right? Even though even though it's legal, you know, everyone's story about the time that they. Uh, drank a whole bottle of tequila and passed out in the street. That's always when, hopefully, when they're 19. Um, and then you learn. You learn what alcohols are good for you, which ones you can tolerate, which ones right. give you an intoxication that you like. Do you don't drink sugary drinks anymore? How much you have to eat before you you uh, drink alcohol? All those things are things you learn in a regime of regulation and legalization. What you don't learn, you don't learn that when they, when nothing is labeled, when you buy it on a market and you have no idea how strong the marijuana is it's on, a, on an illicit market, it doesn't tell you that this is you know, 10 milligrams per – nothing. No, none of those things are in there. It doesn't tell you what type it is. It doesn't even tell you if it's tainted with opium or other types of things. None of that is in there. You have to have people, in a, in a responsible adults, uh, understand the consequences of their actions and learn in a regime of legalization as we have done with alcohol, uh, a couple of a couple of points here from Ken Finn and Ken. I appreciate your your comment here. Uh, he asked for some clarification. Opioid over, he says opioid overdoses are on the rise in 2015, 2016, and 2017 in Colorado. So please clarify that. Uh, yeah. So the the right now what we have are a few studies because we have that have just come out about that use of opiates. Uh, affect uh, marijuana legalization affects the use of opiates. Now, in terms, there's a few studies that have come out, and in terms of how broad this is, in about in the states. Now, the problem here is that when you have the opiate deaths going up, what you're really seeing in Colorado, uh, for example, is it's not so much deaths from the over-the-counter opiates as it is fentanyl and heroin. And fentanyl, in particular, is a problem of Prohibition again, the adulteration of heroin, generally speaking, and concentration, and concentration. Now, this is not going to be solved immediately. Uh, you would, what you would expect is in a in a marijuana legalization regime, if people can effectively switch to marijuana, then some of them will. 
But if you're already addicted to opium because of previous policies, you're not going to see this happen overnight. And I'm not saying that marijuana is the solution to the opiate issue. I'm saying that it mitigates it to some degree and leaving a legalization regime in place will have longer term mitigation strategies in terms of getting people who are addicted off of these. And the problem with the opiate crisis is that after they're addicted to the slow release opiates, they go to heroin and then are often dying due to the adulteration of heroin by fentanyl, especially in the last two years. Uh, another uh, comment here from Ken Finn. I appreciate it, the comment, Ken. He says, National Academy's note on the use of cannabis in pain shows only in neuropathic and cancer pain and not with common pain conditions. And this is supported by the Annals of Internal Medicine article August yes. 2017. This was noted also in products not available in the U.S. Yes. So explain, explain what that marijuana means. Marijuana is not as effective a pain reliever as opiates. I mean, we're not going to, I mean, opiates are one of the most incredible things ever discovered in the sense if you think of Civil War battlefield medicine, uh, you know, before before you could put someone down and to cut their leg off. I mean, that's what we use to put people under for surgery. So it's, and we, we to deaden them completely. What's, I know of no strain of marijuana that has those effects. But for someone who can be on the edge, who has some kind of different kind of pain, where the marijuana mitigates it a little bit enough for them to be able to wean themselves off of opiates. I'm not saying marijuana is going to replace, we're not, we're not, we're not going to put people on, make people high and then give them surgery or saw their legs off, absolutely not. There is still no better painkiller than opiates, and, and that needs to be available to those who are in serious pain. Well, we've talked about this a little bit, but we have another question. This is from Marty Gold on Facebook Live. Uh, perhaps Sessions' objection is not about marijuana per se, but the open defiance of federal law. For example, if some states legalize mm -hmm. marijuana in clear defiance of federal law and the feds set the example of letting it go, what happens if other states decide to override controversial protections such as those on abortion or civil rights? That is those are, 14th Amendment yeah, issues. Yeah, those perhaps. are two different questions, but I, I like the question. You're getting at the right thing. Um, the answer to that question for the marijuana question is more about right now in Colorado and other states that are legalized, marijuana is simultaneously legal and illegal. When that has happened, you know someone screwed up somewhere. And the answer to that, if you understand the U.S. Constitution, is it's not the states that screwed up. No one ever thought that the states didn't have the ability to legalize or allow or prohibit uh, marijuana or alcohol, for example. The problem was that the federal government wasn't thought to have that power. The question to ask yourself is why do we need a, a constitutional amendment to prohibit alcohol, but we prohibit drugs by statute? And the short answer to that question is that between 1918 when the constitutional amendment was passed to give Congress the power, the reason they passed a constitutional amendment is because in 1918 they believed that Congress did not have the power to make it illegal for alcohol consumption. Although, important point here, uh, the 18th Amendment did not make it illegal to personally possess and use alcohol, only transportation, importation, and production. So it was, it was, it was not as bad as the drug wars. But between that was the New Deal. And the New Deal, due to agricultural programs where they decided that they need to have jurisdiction over someone's backyard farm, that's how we got jurisdiction over all drugs in the country. So the question here of who, what, who first uh, was uh, disrespecting, I think was her word, of the who first disrespected authority? 
was at the states in reasserting their powers to legalize that no one for most of constitutional ever doubted over the federal government? Or was it the federal government usurping authority from the states in the 30s and then pretending that between that somehow it gained the power to prohibit drugs nationwide in a way that was more authoritarian than, than alcohol prohibition with no intervening constitutional amendment occurring? I would say this is states taking back power not disrespecting the federal government. And now when it comes to the civil liberties thing, that's a different question. That's a question of rights. Those civil liberties issues, those apply to the states in a different way through the 14th Amendment. You can think of them coming from the bottom. The marijuana comes over the top and says, the government comes in and says, you're not allowed to do it. And it's going to be over an umbrella over the whole country. The states are obliged to protect rights from the bottom via the 14th Amendment. So it's a little bit different question, but a good one. All right. So uh, I want to ask a little bit about the, the enforcement issue here. Jeff Sessions has given... Uh, states uh, attorney, attorneys, state attorneys general, this uh, discretion to decide how or which or if they're mm -hmm. going to enforce these uh, the federal laws in states that have legalized uh, recreational marijuana, and uh, I guess the question is, when the feds typically would engage in some sort of drug bust, say something like cocaine or methamphetamine or heroin, uh, they have the cooperation. Uh, oh, yes. Typically, of state authorities, and in the case of marijuana, there's in many states they're simply not going to have that cooperation. No, not at all. And there's nothing that compels state lawmakers or state uh, law enforcement officials to do what the feds want them to do. Yeah, and that's a very, very good point. There are far more state law enforcement, local law enforcement officers than there are federal law enforcement officers, than there are DNA, they DEA agents. They usually and often ask for their help when it comes to a localized uh, you know, drug ring or something like that that might go between you know, Nebraska and Oklahoma and Missouri or something like that. So using those, they, they can resist. A Colorado law enforcement officer can say, we don't do that. And again, that would be another reason why the U.S. attorneys would say, this is not going to be a priority of ours to go after local businesses and, and local, no more really than what the Cole memo said. Is we this... will go after you know, people selling to kids. We will do that. That's, that's fine. But we're not going to go after law abiding under the state law. Businesses. Is this toothless then? I mean, essentially, in states like California and in Washington, Colorado, Arizona, Nevada. Uh, no, I'm sorry, yeah, not Arizona. Yeah, Alaska. Nevada, Alaska, Maine, yeah. Vermont, Massachusetts. Is this just toothless in those states? It will be much more toothless than people kind of suspected. I think it would take a, a particularly enterprising U.S. attorney to decide to just start raiding. Now, this had happened before with medical marijuana. So, so, you know, I'm going to issue a warrant for, you know, cannabis RS or whatever. And that would, I mean, because I don't think Jeff Sessions wants to do that. Not because I think he wants to do that. I don't think he wants the political, the, the political fallout that comes from California, LA, you know, popular cannabis RS dispensary being raided, not for violating any of the things that people like for selling to children, but just because it's selling marijuana under California law following California restrictions. I, I don't think he wants that fallout. So I actually don't think we're going to see much in terms of that enforcement. The, again, the question is the banking. The question is, is what – now, again, we had that before, but we're going to see – what we're going to see is we're going to see if banks pull back, and I expect them to do so, we're going to see more crime uh, against the transportation of – I mean, this is a lot of money. It's uh, – many, many cases, cash. it's hundreds of yeah, thousands hundreds of dollars. Hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash. So we're going to see that's that's going to be something where it's like, wait, well, why, now we have to pay attention uh, to people who are committing crimes against cannabis industries because we're not letting them have bank accounts. 
So which one do you think we should be putting our priorities into? Solving crimes or protecting its crimes that the the government kind of invented by not letting them bank or letting them have a bank and moving forward with the the movement towards sensible drug laws? What do you think moves first here, Congress or a whole bunch more states? Uh, State, I think we will see Congress after the midterm election move towards this. Um, I, I think that some states in the midterm election will legalize still further and then we'll see Congress because the, – Are there, there start, things on the ballot or legislative initiatives? Yes. I'm not exactly sure how many but 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 we've seen them come up. Um, I think some of them are still working on getting some of the signatures for getting it on the ballot. So – but what, right now since we're approaching the midterm, we're going right, to – the Congress's energy is going to dry up as it usually does right before the election. So starting about you know March, April. It's going to be hard to get anything substantive done due to the re-election and, uh, and so I think we'll have to wait till after. OK. So I mean you and I, you know, I've talked about this privately and uh, our conclusion has been this is dead. Like this is the, the federal law enforcement regime with respect to marijuana is a dead man walking. Yes. No, it's, it's not it's, – it is uh, not changing. We're not going to have – let me put it this way. The amount of resources they would have to to devote to re-prohibiting marijuana effectively effectively would be gargantuan. It would be, it would be a budgetary nightmare, and it would be a civil liberties disaster uh, on the level that you know that would, that would be uh, unacceptable to everyone. I mean, the drug war already is a civil liberties disaster, but putting putting it back down would be just an insane amount of resources that they're simply not willing to invest. So I, th- I do think that this is the beginning of the end and the quicker that people can figure out and Congress, Congress members of Congress can figure out this is the beginning of, end of, of the current federal marijuana regime, the better. Um, this is this is going to be our last question, but th- thank you all for or tuning in for this. And uh, if you have those questions, you could send them directly to Trevor, and I think he'll, he'll probably be uh, more than happy to uh, respond to some of those as well. This is from Shawington Times on Twitter. Thank you for the question. Is an alcohol illegal and legal? Uh, aside from dry counties, in many and most places, public street consumption and sales and personally distilling alcohol is illegal. That's an interesting question. I mean, I I meant the actual possession and use of marijuana. Because uh, I'm thinking of yeah. Colorado, and it was a local. It was a, they decided to let it be sort of a local option, whether or yes. not they're going to provide for retail sales. That's different than and it that's being home, legal. Uh, yeah, that's Colorado authorizing home rule. So, and mostly all the medical marijuana dispensaries are in the city of Denver, starting right around South Broadway is what they call New Broadsterdam now, is where you can start getting into where the dispensaries are. But in Inglewood and Centennial, Parker, where I'm from, that there are none there because the cities have asserted that they don't want them. But the state has empowered them to do that, uh, to allow for that home rule. Which, so they that's didn't a have big to, difference. which they didn't have to do. It's a big difference because the federal government hasn't empowered the states to, to, to do the same thing that Colorado has empowered its localities to do. That's how you have regimes of, of sort of you know, patchwork legality work together with the overarching government saying, OK, you're allowed to decide. It's going to be legal in the state, but you've, you don't want it in your town. You can have that. Con- Congress hasn't done that. Um, and so that so it's not the same thing at all uh, that alcohol is legal and illegal in the same way that the marijuana is. Trevor Burris is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.